everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Freaky Fandoms. I am Andrew. And I am Deborah. And we are back from a couple of weeks since I think we last did Flash Gordon. Yeah, yeah, it's been a couple weeks. Um, again, we're trying to bust out content as, as much as we can. Um, but yeah, we are back with another episode. Yes, and we have decided to take on one of our newest requests yeah. for this episode tonight. Deborah, what are we doing? Um, so there's uh, Riza, who is a dear friend of ours. Yes. Uh, she has actually requested that we do one of her favorite movies, uh, where she apparently had a crush on one of the guys for a long time. I'm like, oh yeah, then I'm totally going to do it. We're totally going to talk about Nightbreed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we spent the past couple days, or I say couple, but it's more than that. But we spent yeah. the last little bit uh, just trying to brush up on everything we can and dig into it so we can bring it to you guys. Yeah, yeah. And we've been uh, fans of Clyde Barker for an incredibly long time. Um, you know. Oh, don't say fans. That's right. That's right. That's, that's, a, that's the four-letter word. Um, well, reading Clive Barker's work, uh, watching his films, um, even you know, going so far as to saying other merchandising games, uh, sort of getting an idea of what his esoteric interests are, and um, even his artwork uh, have all, you know, I think, had a pretty big impact on our life. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Nightbreed is one of those that is on the side of his career where it's very um, much either beloved or reviled. Yeah. Uh, depending on who you are and how you look at his uh, output and what you think of the film. And Cabal, the book, and uh, the comics, and the game, and everything surrounding it. Night Nightbreed is kind of an institution, but... For me, I remember the first time I ever saw it was just on cable. Yeah. Um, how old were you? Oh, I was probably like 9, 10. And I think I saw it either on Monster Vision with Joe Bob or later on in the night. Um, so I did see the heavily edited TV cut that had been put out, I think, on like TNT. And it, you know, it grabbed my attention. I was into it. And I kind of wanted more. See, I wasn't so fortunate. The first time I saw it, I actually saw the Covenant Cabal cut, yeah. which is the longest version that has just fucking everything in it. As of right now. As of right now. Yeah. And um, Until we get the tapes. I say I wasn't so fortunate because I had never heard of it, never saw it, and you were like... Deborah, you're sick with a fever of 102 and you're dying. Let's watch Nightbreed. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like three hours long. And I, I swear I was tripping <laughs> because of how sick I was. Oh, do, you, do you have some of uh, Decker's lithium that he gives Boone? Oh, yeah. And wound up in the, in the totally, freeway? Totally, totally. With, with the fire sex and everything. Yeah, well, I mean, it's Clyde Barker. <laughs> There's always going to be fire sex. Right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's one of those movies that I, you know, kind of decided, all right, well, we've got the Cabal cut. I'm going to fucking throw it on. And I have always considered it to have the sort of tone of a, a fever dream to a degree. Um, it's got Ill this, bet. you know, sort of thing going on for it in parts, not as a whole. And that's something that we're going to really talk about is what this story and what the 
narrative comprises and how it all fits together and how in parts it doesn't. Yeah, and and we can talk about this a little bit more in depth because we spent the past two days um, yesterday watching the theatrical version and tonight watching the director's cut yeah. just to kind of do the compare and contrast. And of course we did other research as well. Yeah, um, as, as but always. yeah, we just watched Nightbreed two nights in a row. <laughs> So that that great uh, Johnny Get Angry song is Shut fresh up. in your head. That's gonna be in my night. That's gonna be my dreams. <laughs> I, I wanna. No, it will. I wanna. I wanna brave man. I wanna caveman. Uh, yeah. The, the, I wanna no, I know. get a lecture. Give me the biggest lecture I ever had. I want a brave man. I want a caveman. <laughs> Make me know that you feel. So it's so bad. It's so bad. <laughs> So we're, we're going to talk about some things that we kind of riff on a little bit. Um, the reality of Nightbreed but is that... But it comes out of a place of love and fun, though. It does. It so. does. Yeah. So we're not, you know, disrespecting the film. We're not uh, saying that anybody who loves it is wrong because, because honestly, we love it. It's not bad. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just there's some that's I'm just like... There's Bruh. just some shit that's like, <laughs> oh, God, Peliquin, shut the fuck shut up. up. <laughs> Enough with the quippy one-liners. Yeah. Fucking Narcisse and everybody else. Um, there's a lot going on in this movie. This movie is a huge mixed bag. Uh, to a degree, it's kind of a dark uh supernatural epic yeah um in in calgary canada uh in so much uh, as that can be yeah it's fascinating and what i think is the most interesting is that it started its genesis with a short novella called cabal that clive barker wrote and put out with a couple of short stories and it was great and then he was able to land a deal with Fox and Morgan Creek to get the film made. But Apparently the studios fought him fucking tooth and nail. And according to Clive Barker, they completely butchered what the movie was supposed to be. Like They just yeah. cut it to pieces and made it into a thing for them to put into the mass media and make money without completely understanding what it was supposed to be and just destroyed it yeah and it was marketed very poorly um i think what fox and morgan creek were trying to do was something a little less um fantastic like what we would eventually get kind of with the frighteners yeah uh with the whole graveyard setting and the you know living dead uh i mean even you know a little bit of like um just that peter jackson stuff it, he made it work but again, those are completely, totally different films where this is kind of like a dramatic love story adventure. I mean, there's there's so much blended in in genre with yeah. what, you know, Nightbreed is. And really, uh, he's, you know, playing on this idea that Clive Barker's main character, Boone, in this story is finding the hidden world underground filled with all of these creatures and monsters and beings who exist alongside with us but in the shadows wasn't he supposed to be played by Rutger Hauer 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so casting, uh, we got Craig Sheffer, who uh, everyone loves for, I think, Hellraiser 5? I think so. Uh, <laughs> Craig Sheffer, yeah, he's great. Uh, we got uh, David Cronenberg. Oh, we do have Cronenberg. Yeah. Uh, yeah, who, you know, it's a Canadian production. He's not going to leave home, we so got, we got Cronenberg. We got that one priest from La Chessa. <laughs> Yes, yes, we have Hugh Corshi yes. from uh, Miketa Soavi's The Church. So anybody who uh, has you know missed that connection, uh, Hugh Corshi is an amazing fucking actor. He is awesome in The Church. And he plays, plays a pretty solid uh, kind of good guy detective here. Yeah. You know, to a degree. No, um, he was... He, he he was doing his job. There's there's one moment where his character sort of has uh, a waver, a, a bit of a waver, and it's right after one of the Nightbreed explodes, <laughs> and they talk about you know the sun being their greatest weapon, and then he's like kind of tilting his head down and doing sort of a Kubrickian you know bullhorns thing, and he's like yeah until it goes down. Yeah. But the thing is, I I feel like. There's a lot of that in this movie where Clive Barker really wanted to have an edginess to his characters and a type of coolness that doesn't really always land. Yeah, that's kind of what I get is there are parts of it where it seems a little try hard, but there's a lot of heart and good intent there. Right. It just feels like the execution wasn't what it should have been. For what, how good of a story it is. Yeah, the best stuff are the sets, by yeah. far. Um, the character direction, though, I think some of the performances kind of throw the tone of the movie. Um, and then some, you know, work. Uh, some have a, a level of humor to them and, you know, level of uh, enjoyment and entertainment, but... Um, I think for, there's a lot of one-liners. I think for me, the biggest fault that this movie has, and you can be very upset with me, people, mm. is the Danny Elfman score. Mm. Um, I love Danny Elfman. I love listening to a lot of his scores from a lot of the f- films that he's worked on. Um, but for this, it was just so hard for me to not pinpoint music cues from like Edward Scissorhands or Beetlejuice or Nightmare Before Christmas. Batman. Or Batman. And it was just hard for me to disconnect it and get involved in the world that we're supposed to live in because it doesn't fit in the world that we're viewing. Right. And again, again, I go back to saying uh, Frighteners. Um, And, you know, Danny Elfman's score for this movie is great. Oh, it's fantastic. But to match what Clive Barker's uh, world is, it does land in some parts, especially when it gets to kind of the, the choral movements. The, yeah. Uh, you know. Um, but for me, I think my favorite blend of Clive Barker's visual and directorial style with music has to go back to Christopher Young. Yeah. Um, those scores for the first three, honestly, well, the first two, really, those were those were Chris's, uh, Hellraiser and Hellraiser 2, they're classic. Well, it just seems like he's able to express the tone of Barker's stories better mm-hmm. than what this did. I'm not saying it's bad, because it's not. I'm just saying it, it kind of takes away from the seriousness and the darkness of what's really going on. 
Well, you know, that's that's kind of one of those things. There's the, and it's funny, uh, we've seen a couple of movies that have explored this a little bit. Again, you know, we just watched Hellraiser 2, and this trope also comes up in Warlock 2, the Armageddon, and it's that sort of dark carnival. Yeah. And there are many parts of Nightbreed, even from the beginning when they go up to the gates of Midian, uh, where it's carnival-esque. Kind of. It's more I'm like thinking, a, like a freak show, kind of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm thinking, you know, about really that Tumblr guy who's got the uh, horns and the sort of demon face and yeah, wears yeah, the yeah. yellow bomber jacket. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, you you totally do have that dark freak show mm-hmm. thing going on, and then there's that huge segment in the middle of the film where Lori's is, exploring. But for me, I've seen that and hearing Danny Elfman music, and I'm just like, okay. Why am I supposed to be scared of these things? <laughs> As like, you hear the like flourishes, like the da 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 da. Yeah, like I'm just the... like it, it. Just didn't fit right to me. Sure, sure. That's just my opinion. So no, no, not I'm, saying I'm it's totally bad. Not it. saying it's bad. I'm just saying like it just didn't work for yeah. me. Well, I think the heavy involvement from the studio is a negative uh, detractor for this film. Definitely, um, I think. Some of the production issues that were going on, because uh, this movie was expensive as fuck to make with sets, and um, some of the visual effects uh, had to kind of cut corners. Uh, the creature suit effects are amazing. Oh, yeah. But then you have this whole huge section where the gigantic berserker monsters are running around topside and they're not really tearing (laughs) anyone apart they're just kind of like grabbing grabbing. and biting and throwing yeah so you know instead of like someone getting their head ripped off you get a grab and then the sound effect of bones breaking yeah and then they just get kind of thrown over um the the versions of nightbreed have their merits mm-hmm. and they have their value and they have their entertainment factor for sure. But I think, you know, none of them are perfect. None no. of them are 10 out of 10, but they could have been. Oh, they were so close. Yeah. Yeah. Like for me, Lord of Illusions is where Clive Barker really came, you know, back from Nightbreed to make a near-perfect fucking movie. Yeah. Uh, Lord of Illusions is so fucking good. (laughs) I love it. And it's amazing. And, you know, the use of magic and the use of uh, occultism and uh, the narrative, you know, it's great. See, for me, it's like, I I think the director's cut is probably the one I like the most. The Cabal cut's just too much. Um, but the, the theatrical version, there were some parts where I was like, I, it was just like, wait, what happened? Cause like scenes were cut out obviously. Right. And in the director's cut, they cut, he cut out some scenes that he didn't like and replaced them with the ones that were taken out. And they kind of worked a little bit better for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it just flowed a little bit more easily. Uh, still wasn't perfect, but I think for me personally, the director's cut is the best version, but I wish that instead of the ending we got, we got the ending from the theatrical version. I do too. It's so good. Uh, even though, it's my favorite ending. Yeah, in the fucking barn. <laughs> you, you can't have night breed without that barn. That's right. That's right. The whole breed is just going to hang out in a fucking barn until the next <laughs> wind blows. Uh, 
and it's it's interesting too how the two different versions between the theatrical and the uh, director's cut at that ending you know one of them is a goodbye and I'll be back and then the other one's like well, who's going to save us? Yeah, it's like, what's going on? And and there's a major character missing from the director's cut, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you so get that... to see uh, an ow, 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 I made a mistake. Ow, ow. Lori. Goddamn uh, Donna from Firewalk with me. I swear it was her. Like, I was like, that is, that's her. But it, it's not. But... <laughs> Well, the, the cuts uh, are basically, there are four versions of Nightbreed. There's the theatrical cut, which Morgan Creek uh, and fucking Fox just chopped to pieces and took out as much of the um, gore and extreme violence and, you know, uh, guts as they could to try to market it as sort of a very beeline slasher. They even took out some of the monsters. They did. Okay, here's the thing that pisses me off, though. So at the end of the credits on the theatrical version, there's a stinger where, like, the the word Nightbreed scrolls by. Yeah. And inside you see some of the monsters and shit happening. Even in the director's cut, that still doesn't happen. So it's like, what the fuck? Yeah, where's that footage? (laughs) Where's that footage? I want that footage. Well, we thought that was going to be in the Cabal cut, but it's not. It's not. It's not anywhere. It's, It's on a tape. Uh, that's you know what what we've got, and um, that's the fourth version. The second version is the uh, director's cut, which after 24 years and a dedicated six years of working on the restoration, uh, Mark Allen Miller and Clive Barker, Mark Allen Miller being his right hand man for nearly a decade, uh, who also wrote the um, tone, I believe, uh, the Hellbound Heart, Hellbound uh, Heart. sequel. Oh, it's um. Uh, Scarlet Gospel, that one? Yeah, he helped with Scarlet Gospels, yeah. but also the one where it's Kirsty's standalone story where she I goes to the... I'm not familiar with that one. It's really good. Yeah? Yeah. Better yeah. than Scarlet Gospel? Absolutely, absolutely. No, it's a confrontation that Kirsty has with Pinhead. Yeah, I don't know about this one. So, um, I need to read it, but I've listened to the audio drama because it was recommended to me. Um, Tom Holland does the voiceover narration I'm for the sold. book. And Chris Velasco does the music for it. I'm already sold. And it's fantastic. It's it's so well done. But um, yeah, they they worked uh, for over half a decade to you know realize and edit this version, and it got put out from Scream Factory, and it's available and it's good. And then there's the Cabal Cut, which Severin Films, uh, Clive's former production company, put together, and it's a just a, a mesh of both. Yeah. You know, the, the difference between the theatrical is that the theatrical is about an hour and 47 minutes, something like that. Yeah, director's cut's like t- a little over two. Yeah, and the way that they did that was they took almost a half hour out of the theatrical cut and put in over 45 minutes of stuff that was either alternate takes or deleted scenes. Yeah. And they crafted that director's cut and then that, you the, know clive uh thanked everybody for at the end and then the cabal cut is just both both just meshed both meshed together with a little bit of extra stuff um but it's almost like an event horizon thing where everyone's Don't always been like <laughs> it's true it's true give us the give us the hell sequence give us the extended flashback you know for a fact that that would be worlds beyond what this ever could be 
I know. You and know I it. Hope, I hope Scream Factory found the actual film elements. If they did, I'm going to lose my mind. Yeah, everybody's, everybody's waiting. Everybody's hoping and keeping their fucking fingers crossed. Because if we got the actual hell cut of Event Horizon... That would be one of the biggest lost, uh, lost. horror films for our generation, for yeah, sure. Yeah, that would be a treasure. That would be so good. But, yeah, the, the final version of um, Nightbreed is a couple of VHS tapes, apparently, that have some of that stuff in it. Yeah. And I think it's... Um, Something like two and a half hours is the runtime. Something uh, like that. And it's been screened and then teased for possible release. But it's never been done yet. No. And it, there's a there's a good chance it never will. I think Clive's wrapped up in trying to get the rights back for Hellraiser right now. Um, because he sold those off years ago. And they're lapsing. So he's, I believe, suing to be able to have those underneath his uh, copyright again. Uh, Nightbreed, there hasn't really been too much talk about, you know, the next, um, iteration of what we're going to get from it. Uh, I think a lot of people were fairly satisfied with the director's cut and the cabal cut, you know, um, because people really wanted that for, you know, almost 25 years. It was, where's the director's cut? Where's Clive Barker's cut? Because Clive was extremely vocal about how unhappy he was. He was very, like, well... Uh, before the director's cut, there's probably like a five minute video with him, yeah, and he him and is so you could just tell he's seething yeah. whenever he's talking about how the production was handled and how he felt about everything going on, and he was just so upset. Mm-hmm. Even 25 years later, you know, he was still just fucking pissed with how everything went down. Yeah, and the the worst thing about Nightbreed 2 is when it came out, it fucking bombed. I can see why, because the director, the, uh, the theatrical cut that we watched last yesterday, ugh, it was rough. It was yeah. really rough. But like I said, the director's cut kind of turned that all around for me. Yeah, yeah. And again, you know, I think in a perfect world, we'd have the director's cut and then we'd have the uh, uh, resurrected Decker ending. Yeah. <laughs> Which is so, <laughs> so, good. so good. I love the fact that, well, one, it's Cronenberg. Yeah. And, you know, him being a presence in this film and being uh, essentially the primary antagonist throughout now, the majority of the whole fucking thing. If I remember correctly, didn't he actually also write Naked Lunch while he was doing this movie? Yeah, he did. He did. Yeah. yeah. Apparently while he was on set with uh, Clive Barker and crew during this um, in his free time, he was reading a lot of Burroughs, and he decided to fucking write his screenplay for Naked Lunch. <laughs> it's uh, so good. Oh my god, it's such a fucking movie. Um, but yeah, uh, this film was shot in Calgary. It was totally a Canadian production. Um, I think uh, the first couple of times we watched it, we were actually trying to mark the setting. And actually, I believe the, there's alternate it dialogue. It takes place in Calgary. Yeah. But most of it was actually filmed in England. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, it was a, a shot between um, Alberta, Calgary, and Pinewood. Yeah. Which is the reason why some of the sets look a little bit like uh, Legend. A little um, bit. Yeah. <laughs> Especially that huge fucking uh, flashback sequence where we see um, what had happened to the breed 
eons before. Uh, I'm sure, you know, a handful of hundred years. It looked very Inquisition. Yeah. Period. Well, it was. Yeah, yeah. My, my thing is... I kinda it's great. Like, I, I kind of like how it's monsters and then, like, just gypsies, kind of. Yeah, like monsters have, and fortune tellers. Yeah, and... that have magical powers. <laughs> like, there's nothing wrong with you. Oh, you turn into smoke. Okay. The fucking eel wrangler. Yeah. Some of these... Oh, his dialogue. It's, Here goes the, the neighborhood. <laughs> the one-liners I'll give in you this, two reasons. The one-liners in this are just... They just... Ugh, they're groaners. They're so bad. It's like, because they'll do a one-liner that's not even appropriate for what the fuck's going on. Yeah. I, you know, I, I know a lot of people love it, but that whole bit that Peliquin does, the God is an astronaut, Oz is over the rainbow, yeah. and Midian is where the monsters live, I'd say one-third of that is good. I, I think it's cool. You think it's I, okay? Yeah, it doesn't bother me. The, the God is an astronaut thing just makes me think of Ziggy Stardust, Bowie bullshit, and, you know... The Oz is over the rainbow is like, what? When are we talking about Wizard of Oz in this? Just leave it alone. It's fine. I'm nitpicking. I'm nitpicking. Uh, But it's not. (laughs) It's it's not nearly as good to me as a couple of the other lines that are just like, oh, Jesus Christ. Like, I love a coward. Yeah. <laughs> you come back now, you hear? It's like, what oh, the... Jesus. Like, Again, Pelican, yeah. So, so bad, but so, <laughs> so good. So let's let's talk about uh, a little bit of the extended cast, but what, what were you going to say? Well, I was just going to say, we're, let's talk about some of the monsters in the cast. Yeah. Uh, and while I was thinking that, I was also kind of like segueing. I kind of like how this has all four original Cenobites in it. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, it's got, I believe, female Cenobite playing um, the... Uh, her oh, her name. name is like Shorsha. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not, but Sorsha Smashini. Yeah, yeah, she's uh, the uh, the the porcupine. Porcupine woman, yeah, yeah, which is fantastic. And then Chatterer's the moon-faced guy. Yeah, that's right, that's right. The one Vince, with the yeah. tattoos and the little fucking yippy dog. He's yeah, Butterball. It's Butterball, and he went on to do a Peter Vincent thing in uh, <laughs> one of the movies that we're credited on. Fucking, and then uh, the, uh, documentary for Fright Night. Yeah, Tom and then. Fucking Doug. Doug. Yes. Doug Bradley. Pinhead. Is, uh, Lansbury. I, I don't remember. Lylesbury. Lylesburg. Lylesburg. The, the leader of the breed. <laughs> Fucking Jesus. So it's, I kind of think it's cool how uh, they got all of them together for that. Yeah. 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 Just kind of keep that family. It's it's excellent. Like, yeah. um, there, there were some casting choices. Uh, I think Barbie Wilde was going to be brought on, but instead... Uh, they got her who had done work with Clive. Um, they had a singer, a popular Canadian singer, who was going to play the part that uh, the actor who played Butterball wound up doing. So kind of at the last minute, Clive just, you know, phoned him up and was like, hey, can you do this? Huh. And uh, he wound up, you know, making it work. He's a standout uh, in the movie, um, especially when it explodes. It's a great moment. <laughs> Uh, the rules of the, uh, Nightbreed definitely, um, do play into folklore 
and creature mythology and things like that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we get like uh, elements of vampirism, changelings. Cannibalism. Yeah, yeah. All all those, you know, fun mixed bag of ideas. Shape-shifting. Yeah, all kinds of fun stuff. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it's uh, a good world, I think. It's actually not that bad. The rules are is you have to die and be accepted by their god, uh, not Leviathan, but Baphomet. Baphomet. Yeah, who created Midian. He's not even really there. He's just inside this giant statue, but his soul's there, and that's what matters. I don't know. It always gave me the impression that there was kind of like an Olympus thing. Yeah. You know, like uh, Athena or Zeus projecting themselves into the temple. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. So we, we've got that moment but where... Yeah, Baphomet. Yeah. Man, Craig Sheffer's makeup in that fucking moment where he's getting lifted up by Baphomet and the uh, statue's talking to him. And his, um, I guess, like, I don't know, beast tribal tattoo <laughs> branding face makeup. That's kind of like his wolfman transformation thing. Yeah. Uh, it just looks like really bad old man makeup. Um, but it's okay. It's okay. All right. It's, you know, it's, it's just, it's just nitpicking. Uh, I feel like the director's cut has a much better solid narrative progression yes. with the three act structure and what we get with so, each chapter. A question I have for you, which yeah. I didn't quite understand from all my research and shit. You okay. Why the fuck is Decker after the Nightbreed? Like, why? Like, is he a centuries-old monster, like, monster hunter? Or is he just an asshole? He's an asshole. Like, but how does he even know about the Nightbreed? He's, like, even, like, before uh, fucking... Boone. Boone. Yeah. He's, I killed centuries old of these families, and I've killed so many breeders, and it's like... How long have you been doing this and why? <laughs> well, he's he's a murderer. And well, I know he's, he's a murderer. He's a sociopath. Uh, the background that we get from him, I think, is actually fleshed out a little bit better in the director's cut because it's very abrupt in the theatrical version. Yeah. Like, we get rushed to get to know Boone and Lori and Decker and then make our way to Nightbreed. Like, it's very, very... Oh, and, you know, Narcisse as well. He shows up in the in that big hospital sequence, which was always one of the memorable moments for me when he cuts his... Just cuts his head off. Yeah, yeah. Pulls, the skin around yeah. his face. Yeah. And pulls his hair out and all that stuff. But um, Decker is uh, a human monster, essentially. And there's this whole thing about, you know, if you're a monster, you can have a second life after death with the breed in Midian and be good, I guess, then in some objective does, way. Then why does he want to fucking kill them? Well, there's that bit in the beginning that I think is the reason why Fox tried to make this a slasher movie where he kills a family. Yeah. And in his dialogue with, I think, the old man who's tied up in Christmas lights, Yeah. he's kind of giving an exposition dump talking about how he kills families that he believes are subhuman. 
Okay. That's his whole motive is he's kind of like okay. one of those so xenomorphic... So here's the thing. Watching it and hearing that... Yeah. Because I heard it. Not xenomorphic, it, it but you know It sounded I mean, to me like he's saying, I've killed night breeders for years. No, no, no. He's talking that's about... That's what it sounds... That's how, how it just sounds like. No, he's, he's talking about killing cow people. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Which is uh, extremely... Uh, xenophobic. Yeah. Xenophobic. Uh, sorry, alien fans. <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. So, he's a xenophobe, he's a sociopath, he's, uh, you know, manipulative asshole. Um, he has been, in the sort of plot of the movie that we get, you know, really, really thrown at us, just like stuff being thrown at a wall and staying with six, um, for, it's like ten months he's been killing families yeah. in Calgary, and he's got a folder filled with all of these um, photographs from death scenes, and apparently Boone has been confessing to all of them and saying that uh, they've been showing up in his dreams. So he's been recording Boone during their um, therapy sessions and is now going to give him up to the police so he doesn't get caught. Like, this is Deckard's manipulative uh, plot to get out of, you know, being... Um, held accountable for murdering people. You see, that's not what it seems like to me. The whole thing seems like that he set up Boone to find out where Mer uh, Midian was so mm -hmm. he can go kill Nightbreed because he's like a Nightbreed slayer. That's mm. seriously how the story plays out to me. You think he's a Van Helsing? It, 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 that's how, like, both times I watched it. Okay, okay. <laughs> I, I have, uh, and that's that's the thing too, is I don't think a lot of people really locked in to what exactly was going on in the story because well, of the way that it's presented. Yeah. It's kind of it hard. It's convoluted. Yeah. And I hate to say it. And it's especially worse in uh, the theatrical version. But the way I um, watch it play out is Boone takes the fall for Deckard's murder spree and gets shot in front of Midian because mm -hmm. Boone's trying to find Midian because he's been dreaming about the Nightbreed. So when... Deckard finds out that Boone is still alive, he realizes that Midian is real. So he goes to find Boone, chases down Lori through the graveyard after killing the friend that she made at the uh, rodeo bar. Uh, because there's a huge country plot yeah. in this, especially in the... Uh, um, theatrical version. I think that's why I couldn't do the theatrical version. <laughs> well, the thing is, is like we we get a little bit of a sense of the city, and then we get a fair understanding of the cemetery, and then we get the involvement of the town that's closest to the cemetery, and it's this fucking you know country rodeo town with uh, kind of gung ho. Yeehaw, sort of police force. Yeah. You know? And it's fleshed out in the book with these characters, but presented in the film, it's so condensed that you just kind of have to run with it and hope you can keep up. Uh, it's also very much like Night of the Living Dead, where, you know, George Romero had the zombie event going on. And then all of these, you know, guys are just driving around in their trucks with shotguns, having tailgate parties and drinking coffee and talking shit. So it's that whole like, 
yeehaw, let's go have fun and go but the hunting. Point, but the point is, like, it's really Midian. easy to, un- like, misconstrue what the fuck's going on. Yeah, yeah, especially when you don't have any knowledge of, like, the priest yeah. from the book. Yeah, like, what the fuck's that about? <laughs> so, his background in the book is that he's a drunk, and he's lost his faith, and he's in the police station, and then the sheriff, who's, you know, a bravado asshole, is like, Hey, fuckface, come on, we're going, and we need a priest. So get your ass up, because we're going to kill people. And then he finds his new god during the fight. Yeah, yeah. He, you know, he takes off his uh, collar, and he's like, uh, My god, Leviathan, Baphomet. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> Why do you keep saying Levi? Oh yeah, because uh, because it's yeah. better, right? <laughs> but you know, it's it's fine. Like it's it's another uh, story in the sort of worlds that Clyde Barker explores. But again, the execution is where the film faults. Yeah, um, you know, it's on, like I would like on to these see, levels. I would like to see this movie remade. I I would like to see. This movie have been like a fucking lightning in a bottle for Clive. Yeah. You know, like if he had made this in 88, 89 and it come out in 90 and everything perfectly fit into place, like I hate to say it, you know, but maybe instead of uh, Craig Schaefer, we got we got Christopher Lambert, <laughs> you know, the Highlander. Raiden. I'm just no, no. <laughs> he was up for the casting. He, he would actually. not have no. I no. <laughs> he would not I have been good. Nightbreed. I'm saying that Where's be, Lori? because Take of. Her. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> because of what the studio did, there was no way it was going to be good. So no. maybe if someone who actually has read the book has like. Watch the movies, has a better understanding of it, can make it into a more gritty, somber, and yet powerful movie than Mm -hmm. it than it is now. It could be really, really, really good. Yeah, well, there's some strength and there's some ideas to them. I I think the film's best aspect again is its uh, sets and its art direction. Yeah, Um, I love the look of a lot of the creatures. Some of them, you know, vary. Uh, (laughs) Right. (laughs) God damn it. But um, really, if it had been more tonally focused instead of like at times jumping between, you know, Pumpkinhead territory and then back to the underground realm of this dark, uh, you know, again, freak show aesthetic, uh, but also a a kind of covenant-like kind of world. Yeah. Um, because there's a lot of ritual and practice in the film, and that's where uh, I think the the movie starts to shine, but it doesn't lean into it heavily enough. Yeah. Uh, Lylesburg, I think, is terribly named. <laughs> Very But terribly. I love Doug Bradley's delivery. No, he did a great job. His presence is fine. His look is cool, and when you find out you know, he's dying, he's got these little eyes. Yeah. the slits. Because I was like, okay, he's just got scars on his face. What's the big deal? I'm like, oh, they're eyeballs. Okay, that makes, that makes a difference. <laughs> but again, like so many other issues that the film had getting made, even he got fucked over, and his voice got dubbed, dubbed. Yeah. by a German actor. And in the director's cut, thankfully... He was able to loop his dialogue and redub 
And uh, now in the director's cut, you can actually hear him deliver. And it's good. And it is good. It absolutely is. So there's there's good and there's bad. And I wish it had been the best it could have possibly been. Yeah. But it's a fun little romp. I definitely... Uh, <laughs> romp. <laughs> it's a romp. Yeah. I definitely suggest watching the director's cut, though, because mm-hmm. it, it may be a little bit longer, but it seems more evenly paced. Yeah, just pause the director's cut as soon as they get on top of the hill before the sun comes up, so you don't have to laugh at Lori stabbing herself and going, Turn on the theatrical version when the priest is having his sort of, uh, I guess throne-like or uh altar altar yeah 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 for uh for the kind of crucified decker and end it there yeah that's that's the way to end it but hey no matter which way you go you're always going to wind up in the barn so there you go (laughs) there you go in the fucking barn yeah it's not gonna do shit for some of the ones that are deathly delight dude no shit as soon as the sun comes up and it starts shining through like the cracks in the wood the fucking baby Babette who turns into a I'm sorry, Babette gets into dog. fucking bullshit like left and right. Like that little kid cannot stay out of trouble. Did she get like saved five times? Something like, it's like that. Like she's about to die and Lori saves her, and then I think Lori has to save her again when she gets crushed. Yeah. By the, oh, and and a, that's that's a thing too. There's some amazing shit that happens in the underground realm of uh, Midian, um, like a. Scorpion Johnny Cage fight. It's amazing. Oh my god, the Scorpion Johnny Cage fight. I'm fucking recording that shit and dubbing it. Oh, with the I know music you are. It's I'm seriously it. like that it's, fucking fight. Oh, it's so good. Decker and Boone's standoff is 100% the fucking Scorpion fight. <laughs> it's amazing. So, uh, yeah, we we you know do have love for Nightbreed. We wish it could have been uh, its best. But fuck, I'll put it on, you know, yeah. anytime. Yeah. It's a it's a laundry folder and it's a late night, you know, watch and it's a three AM watch. And, and if you're it's good stuff. And if you're really, really, really sick, like you got the vid, yeah. maybe watch it. The vid. The vid. Well, everyone listening in, we hope you're staying safe out there. Hope uh, you're staying healthy. Hope your family and friends are staying healthy too. Yep, yep. You and yours and we we always Love getting your feedback and love interacting with you. And whenever you hit us up, you know, we want to deliver shows like these where we can have fun talking about stuff recommended to us. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have Millennium coming up soon, which we are working towards. Yeah, it's a lot of work. A lot, a lot, a lot of work. A lot of fucking great work. I mean, come on, it's Lance. (laughs) Right. So, you know, Tony, thank you for recommending that one and suggesting it. And we will deliver that. Um, coming up next, we've got some potential shows. We've been talking about games. We've been talking about anime. We've been talking about series, uh, maybe music, literature. Again, you know, we're, uh, going down the list. But, uh, Deborah, do you have any shout outs? Oh, yeah. I want to shout out to American McGee and Martin working on Alice Asylum. It's still going on. So because it's not done, that means they need more love to make it happen. Uh, so yeah, let's just go ahead and get this project going. It's a prequel to, uh, of course, American McGee's Alice and Alice Matters Returns, uh, kind of before everything happened. And it looks to be a really deep 
intense emotional story that mm-hmm. I think is going to be really beneficial for not just the storyline of what's this is all about, but also I think it might be like something that a lot of people can resonate with and I'd like to see it do some good stuff. So yeah, yeah go give them some love. Yeah, the progress that they're sharing, the concept art that they're Letting everyone check out on their Twitch streams and they're on their YouTube uploads. They're doing more tentacles. They're bringing back the tentacles. I'm so happy. It's fucking great. Um, and then for me, uh, as always, shout out to Chetzar and the Dark Art Society, but also um, the active work that's going on with In Search of Tomorrow and In Search of Darkness. The 80s sci-fi and horror documentaries is very very fun right now yeah uh we just every did, day yeah we we just did a fantastic uh watch party of reanimator with special guest jeffrey combs yeah. who joined us for a q a which was amazing and you have another ginormous guest yeah. on the way yeah we've got brad dorif yeah <laughs> who's gonna be joining us for dune so everyone listening in uh you know that's gonna be happening on july 12th so the Sunday after, uh, next from when we're recording, because this show is going to come out just in time for the 4th of July. Um, and because we always pay tribute to one of our favorite films of all time around this time of year, we recommend everyone listening who hasn't heard it yet, check out our episode on The Greasy Strangler. Yes! It's a wonderful 4th of July movie, and it's... we hope you have a nice... Uh, weekend. Yeah, I, I, it's not patriotic by any means. It's just a movie that I watch on Fourth of July because it just it just works, and it's one of my favorite movies. And I think it was like my second or third episode we yeah. I ever did. Yeah, yeah. way back in <laughs> like the day, one or two after speech. It was like two like years that. ago. Oh my god, it was two years ago. So great. Well, everybody, thank you for listening to us chat about Nightbreed. Um, If you have any comments, anything that you want to bring up, hit us up on Patreon, on our social feeds, and let us know your thoughts. So we hope you enjoyed our uh, our talk today. And thanks to all of our patrons, too. Like, seriously, we can't do it without you guys. And you were probably the most patient people on the face of the earth. And we love all of you. We really do. We do. Thank you much, everyone. Thank you. Oh. I don't know. Nightbreed. <laughs>